isolates himself, rages against all wise judgment and does so to his own ruin. That's serious stuff. And so let's use uh, live stream for what it's um, for, for, for the elderly, for those who are sick, that type of thing. Okay, enough of that. Let's get into the word. Let's get into talking about grace. Go to, uh, if you could rise for the reading of God's word. Galatians. Chapter 2, now we're going to be reading more than just one verse, but that's all I'm going to read right now is one verse. Galatians chapter 2, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Raise your hand, Spanish or English Bibles. So we kind of finished up with this last week. Verse 16 of chapter 2 says this, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh, and by that it means no man or no woman, by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need your grace. We need your grace. We come to you, Lord. Your word says, in desperate need of you. And Father, we we know from your word that you don't get desperate the way we do. But you're intense and you intensely want to pour out your grace on us. That's what your word says. And I ask that for myself and for every person in this room, every person on live stream, pour out your grace on us. I beg you, Lord, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. The Bible teaches that God loves you. You have been created by God to love Him. to be loved by him and to love him back. You have been created by God in such a way that you know God is there. And I, I, I would say that this is true of every human being, unless there's a physical, mental infirmity or incapacity, a disabled person. Every man, every woman, and child, as they gain consciousness of the world around them, the Bible teaches, knows that God is there. You don't have to try to know He's there any more than you don't have to try to know that your mother or father are there, assuming they're alive. You just know they're there. Same thing the Bible teaches with God. Romans chapter 1 teaches this. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Do we have that? Romans chapter 1, verse 20. Says this, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So you were created to know God. God loves you and wouldn't have it any other way. And, and it says here, you're, you're, you're created in such a way that you know him even, it says third line there at the end, his eternal power and Godhead. Godhead. What does that mean? That means that 
without even trying, you know things about God. And this, I'm talking not you as a Christian. I'm talking about, the Bible says, any human being. Actually, Romans chapter 1, the whole chapter is about a person without God, who doesn't have God, a person who's not a Christian. They know his eternal power and his Godhead, meaning specific things about God. What, who he is and what he is like. And so the New Living Translation puts it like this. Same verse, New Living Translation. Uh, it says this, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power and his divine nature. That means his divine nature, the nature of who he is, meaning what he's like, divine attributes. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. So God created you in such a way that you know things about him, including the fact he's powerful, including the fact he's holy, including the fact that he loves you don't have to try. To, people out there don't need to try doing that, that he's powerful, but also that he's holy and that he's not happy when, when um, people are not holy. People also know just they don't even have to try. They know they're accountable to God, meaning they know that they can't just get away with doing anything with God. They're accountable to him. Romans chapter 1 says people just know that. The whole Bible teaches this. Now, this verse is not saying that you can know everything you need to know about God just by looking out at the earth and the sky. You're not going to know about Jesus Christ unless you open the Bible. It's, that's not what the verse Romans 1.20 is saying. That's why God gave us the Bible. That's why God gave us his son, Jesus Christ. But even without any Bible or knowledge of Jesus Christ, you know there's a God, you know he's a personal God, you know things about him, including he's powerful, including he's, uh, he's accountable, including he's a God of love, uh, but also that he's holy. Uh, and just a couple days ago, I was in a parking lot in Roxbury. My friend over here, Muddy Bell, walked up to me while I was talking with a guy about the Lord. It was a wonderful thing. It was like God remind, telling me, you see, I'm in this conversation. So I'm talking um, with this young man about God, and I, and, and I said, uh, what do you think about Jesus? And he said, well, uh, I, I, I don't believe in that kind of stuff. I, I just believe in a higher power. But he says, but to be honest, anytime I'm in trouble, I run to him and I pray to him. <laughs> and and, and that is just, that's just a true thing. That, you know, the people try to convince the, themselves that there's just this mysterious higher power that you really can't know. But the, uh, Romans chapter 1, we just read it, verse two, 20, says we know about his, the Godhead, who he actually is. And so as I discussed towards the close of the message last week, Man has two responses to this. Now, I'm talking about without the Bible, without talking to someone about Jesus, without that, man has two responses to the Romans chapter 120 thing where just by looking at the earth and sky, <clears throat> they know there's a God and they know they're accountable to him. And they know they're in trouble with him because they know they violated his law. They know that. Everyone knows that. Two responses. Number one, response number one, very simple, denial. They go into denial. They, um, they don't like the creepy, guilty feeling of knowing they've done something wrong, of having that shame, that guilt, and, and there's a God who they're accountable to. And, and, and so they just deny it and they sort of, oftentimes what happens is they just go more headlong into their sin. I know a lot about that. That was me. A, a way of denial is just you go deeper into your sin. Romans chapter 1 also says, can you go to the next um, verse? It says, oops. It's, it's the verse, actually it's not in, in, in red, Victoria. It's Romans 1.18. I have it there though. Just, 
It's, Romans 1.18 says, they suppress the truth in righteousness, meaning they know what's true. They know uh, that God is there. They know the Godhead, but they suppress it. They go into denial. That's response number one. Response number two, very simply, one word, religion. They go and they find religion. Now, religion, uh, this is not religion. What is this? Relationship. relationship. This is not religion. This is relationship. Uh, but So number one is denial. Number two is uh, religion. And what religion is, religion, um, the, the way I'm using it now, is man-made rules to try to appease God. God's angry at me, and yes, he is. So what, what am I going to do about it? I'm going to do religion. I'm going to follow man-made rules. I'm going to follow um, laws. I'm going to try to make him not so angry with me. I'm going to get out of trouble. So those are the two responses. One is denial, that there's ever really a God there or that I'm accountable to him. And, and you sort of just bury your head. You suppress the truth, as Romans 1.18 says. And, and, and you just, oftentimes, you just go more intensely into your sin. Number one, denial. Number two, religion. You, you go after religion and you try to do stuff, religious stuff, give money, pray, read a Bible, light candles, what, holy water, whatever. You, you try to do stuff, take pilgrimages, to appease God. And everyone does one or two or both. A lot of us did both or are still doing. Some of you are still doing that. You're, do, you're still doing both of them. You go between... Denial and religion. Denial and religion it makes you crazy, but that's what you do. So, can I get the first one, Victoria? Number one, denial. Can I see the second one? Number two, religion. So there was a man, and by the way, I am going to get to Galatians 2, I promise. Uh, and we're not only that, we're going to go verse by verse right through that chapter, chapter two. But there was a man who lived 500 years ago. His name was Martin Luther. And he did number two. So he knew God was angry at him. He knew he was in big trouble with God because he knew the Bible, he knew the law. And so he tried religion. At that time in the Western world, by that I mean all of Western Europe, there was only, you had one choice for your religion, and that was Roman Catholicism. So if you went into a city, uh, you could either go to a Roman Catholic church, a Roman Catholic church, or a Roman Catholic church. That, that's all there was at the time. All, and we're talking all of Germany, England, Spain, France, what we know as Scandinavia. It's all, all Roman Catholicism. And Martin Luther, he lived in Germany, and uh, he responded with religion, and what he did is he joined a monastic order. He became a monk. And monastic orders were associations either for monks, for men, or nuns, for women. Monks went into monasteries. Women went into uh, convents. And so monks, there were the many monastic orders or associations, the Benedictines, the Cistercians, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Augustinians. There's all these monastic orders populated by tens of thousands of men and women throughout Western Europe. And it was people responding, the Romans, chapter one response, they knew there was a God, they knew they were in trouble, and they were doing no, the, first, the second one, response number two, religion. That's what they did. And so monks and nuns would take monastic vows. And there was at least three vows that you had to take before entering into a monastery or a convent. Number one was the vow of poverty. So you had to give up all your uh, possessions and you made a vow basically to be poor for the rest of your life and live off the monastery or the monastic order. Number two was a vow of chastity, meaning no sex for the rest of your life. 
to get into this monastery or this convent. Number three was a vow of obedience. And the vow of obedience was when you went into this monastery or convent, you were required to obey every single rule that they had, which were very, very stringent. And so uh, Martin Luther, uh, he uh, went in, he became an Augustinian monk, and uh, it, 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 he, in that particular monastery, they got up every morning at 2 a.m. They went into a, uh, a time of prayer, which lasted 45 minutes, and they did that seven times a day. So seven uh, intervals to the end. Uh, the other time they were cleaning the monastery. Uh, they would do um, other things uh, during the day. And Martin Luther himself, um, he was a monk for 20 years. And what he did was he actually went over and above what the rule was for all the other monks. He fasted more often, and the other thing that he did, it was in Germany in the winter, he would give up his share of blankets, and he would basically just freeze uh, inside the cell. And he would do this year and year out, but he realized, and he wrote that, uh, the more I did, the less it helped. He, he wrote words to that effect, and he said, no matter how hard I tried, I, it was always, am I fasting enough or am I poor enough? And he would, he would just punish his body, and it didn't do him any good. Now, eventually, in the latter years of him being a monk, he was a monk for 20 years, uh, the Catholic Church made the great mistake of making him a professor of the Bible. And he was assigned to read, uh, to teach, among others, two books. One, the book of Romans, and the other, the book of Galatians, which we are in today. And so he's reading the book of Galatians, and he turns, this, let's read the, the verse that... Uh, we just read in verse 16. Now, he's, he's reading this, and he's also teaching this. In verse 16, again, it says, Know that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. And then it continues, Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. The verse continues, for by the works of the law, no flesh, no man or woman will be justified. Now, Victoria, if we could go down to that definition of justified. What does that mean, justified? Uh, let me just read again the verse. The verse says, we know that a man is not justified by works of the law, or by the works of the law, no man or woman will be justified. In the Bible, this is what justification means. It's when God says to you, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he says, you're not guilty, you're qualified for heaven, I, God, now receive you into an everla everlasting relationship with me. You're justified. Some people say it's justified just as if I have never sinned. The, in Ephesians 1, it says, you are blameless before God in love. The moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, meaning, the Bible says the penalty for your sin, any sin, even one sin, is death and hell. But the gift of God is through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ. And what he did, he lived for you in order, and he lived a perfect life for you in order to credit to you that perfect life. He died for you he tasted hell for you on the cross so that you wouldn't have to die and taste hell. And then it says after three days, he rose from the dead. 
The Bible says if you believe that, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved. You are justified. So one more time, at the moment you are put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says you, God justifies you. He says to you, you're not guilty, you're qualified for heaven, I, God, now receive you into an everlasting relationship with me. That doesn't begin when you get to heaven. It begins now. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to be in your heart as your Lord, as your King, as your Savior, and you do so now, yes, come in, Jesus, King Jesus, I believe. The Bible says you are justified. God uh, qualifies you for a relationship with him that lasts forever. So, my, so now, mind you, Martin Luther, you only have one choice. You only have one choice of, of what, you, what religion you are. It's Roman Catholicism. And he's reading through Galatians, and he's teaching through it. And he gets, again, to Galatians 2.16. Can we break it down in 1, 2, and 3? Uh, and and the, this one verse, this is all one verse, verse 16. Three times it says the same thing. It says, a, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Christ, Jesus Christ. Verse 2. We have put our faith in Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. And then if you didn't get it, after hearing it two times, he says the same thing a third time. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. And so he's reading this and he's thinking, what have I been doing for the last 15 years. I've been fasting. I've been freezing myself. I've been taking pilgrimages to Rome. And all I have to do is put my faith in what Jesus Christ did for me. Verse says, the answer is yes. And it says it three times. And, and it says it many, many, many more times. Uh, probably a hundred more times in the New Testament. It says that. Jesus began his ministry in Mark chapter 1 by saying, repent, leave whatever belief system that you have now, and believe the gospel, the good news. He ends the book of Mark, ends his life right before he end, uh, ended his, his ministry on earth, rather. Um, he said, go into all the wor world and preach the gospel, the good news. The good news is throw all the fastings aside, the freezing yourselves aside, the punishing your body aside as a means to having a relationship with God and simply believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. Nothing else. Otherwise, it's not good news. Why would it be good news if I have to uh, spend my, I, I got a note from someone yesterday uh, that the, uh, th that the uh, heat went off in their house. Why is it good news, would it be good news that, well, in order for God to love me more, I need to spend the night in my house freezing. That is not good news. That's terrible, awful news. That's religion. So anyway, what happened? Martin Luther, he's reading the rest of this. Turn back to chapter one. And he's reading the rest of this book, this book of the Galatians. And it's, he reads uh, verse eight, and we've read this several times already. And he, and, and, and he reads, even if we or an angel from heaven, meaning the Pope, Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let them be accursed. And then, at, just in case that didn't register, he said again, as we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you uh, than what you have received, let them be accursed. Martin Luther took strength and he went head to head with the Pope. Not before, by the way, for a series of years pleading with the Pope and the Catholic Church to change their minds and read the Bible. But when finally they said, no, in fact, we're going to kill you, he left. And tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands with him. He was the first Protestant.
that's who he was. And with his new faith in God, his new faith in God came liberty. I mean, do you know what bondage that is? Thinking that you have to fast enough, pray enough, read the Bible enough in order to deserve a relationship with God when in actuality, it's all free. And so the Apostle Paul also wrote Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. He, he tells them that we're in the same book in Galatians here, a few chapters later. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Meaning, listen, you can come to Christ through simple faith in Christ, and be completely liberated. No more freezing yourself. No more long days of fasting to think that makes you better with God. No more getting up at five in the morning and thinking by getting up at that time that makes, you, makes God loves you more. No more than that. He loves me simply because I had faith in him. I opened up my heart to him and he came in and filled me. That's liberty right there. And he, what he says is stand fast in it. Don't let anyone take it away. Next verse, please. Galatians 5.13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. That's every single one of you in this room. Listen to me. Look at me, please. You've been called to freedom. You have been called to liberty. Not religion, liberty. A simple relationship with Jesus Christ based upon faith. That's what you've been called to. And then I have to quote, I have to go outside Galatians because 2 Corinthians, this verse is so good. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. There's liberty. Okay, so let's go through Galatians chapter 2, verse by verse. So what happened, Paul had come into this area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and he went and he planted a whole bunch of churches. And he went in, and, and this is what he declared. He declared, you are saved into a relationship simply by your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, I'm going to go into Acts, which is about Galatians first. We were in these a few weeks ago. Acts chapter 13, this described, this is what Paul said when he first went to the Galatians. He's speaking to the Galatians now. He says, everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is justified from all the things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. What was the Galatians' reaction to that? Next verse. And the Gentiles begged, Gentiles being non-Jews in Galatia, they, they begged, please come back. We've never heard this before. They begged that these words might be preached to them before the next Sabbath, uh, rather on the next Sabbath, and on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they glorified the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. They didn't need the internet. Speaking of the internet, they didn't need it. That, that, that thing spread like wildfire. That's what freedom and liberty does. And so that's the work that Paul did. And so what happened? Again, we talked about it at the end of last week. You get an enemy of your souls, his name is in the Bible is Satan. And there's a demonic realm that does what he tells them to do. Who Paul left these churches and then men came into the churches. They literally followed Paul. They saw the joy. They saw the rejoicing. They saw the, the genuine worship for Jesus Christ. And they said, uh-oh. No, no, no. You guys are missing something. You men, you need to be circumcised. You families, you need to go three times a year to Jerusalem on a feast. And you're dressed wrong. You're not allowed to be in these dress of mixed fabric. Some of you, you only have to, that was a Jewish law. You had to be one fabric. You're eating wrong. And then all the joy departed. 
the joy, the peace departed. That's what a Pharisee does. That's what a, a so-called Christian Pharisee uh, does. And they are alive and well today. More on that a little later. So, he, so what happens, they attack the messenger. These people come in after Paul and they say, oh, he was just, he's just this lightweight. He's not an apostle. He was um, uh, just someone who was sent out by one of the apostles, one of the many hundreds uh, that, that did so. Now, an apostle was someone who actually physically saw Jesus Christ and was taught by him and then sent out to plant churches. Uh, unusually, for Paul, in Paul's case, he did not see Jesus Christ in the flesh, but through a series of person-to-person revelations, kind of like Moses, a little bit like Moses. He was an apostle. And so the first two chapters, a lot of it is just him telling them, you're trying to kill the messenger, but let me tell you, I am an apostle, and I'll explain to you why. And a lot of his argument was, listen, the apostles, the other apostles, the one who actually, the other apostles, the ones who actually lived with Jesus, I have barely even seen them. They never taught me anything. I got this directly from Jesus Christ. And so in chapter two, verse one, let's pick it up. Let's go verse by verse now. It says, after 14 years... I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and I took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. And so where it says there in verse 2, where it says at the beginning there, I went up by revelation and communicated to them, he's speaking to the apostles. Peter like, people like Peter, the apostle Peter. People like the apostle James. People like the apostle John. So his point is, listen, I, I, I didn't even know these guys. And, and it took 14 years before I really spent meaningful time with him. He had briefly met a couple um, earlier. We saw that in the previous chapter. But look, 14 years went by, and and then finally is when I had some real meaningful time um, to be with him. And and, and he, he points out here, he says, they didn't tell anything to me. I was talking to them. Verse two says, I went up by revelation and communicated to them. It wasn't the other way around. I was telling them what I was doing. Uh, and that the God, he, was, he was telling them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Verse three, yet not even Titus who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So what on earth is that about? Um, well, Titus was a Gentile. He was a non-Jew. Uh, circumcision was required by Jewish law. And so his, the point that he is making is, listen, I went this with my, my Gentile friend Titus to see the apostles in Jerusalem, and they didn't even make him be circumcised. Meanwhile, you're being, you're being lied to by these other false apostles who are saying you are required to be circumcised. He's just making the simple point is, number one, I was not taught by the apostles. I was taught directly by Jesus Christ. Number two, when I went to see the apostles, I told them, we're not requiring, these people are not Jews. We're not requiring that they eat kosher food. The Bible doesn't teach that they are required because they're Gentiles, they're not required. We're not requiring that they go to Jerusalem three times a year. And we're not requiring, again, that they be circumcised. And his point here is in verse 3 is the apostles, like Peter, James, and John, they did not require the people that I came came with me um, who were Gentiles. They didn't require them to be circumcised. Verse 4. So, and this occurred because of false brethren who secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, 
that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So what's going on in that verse? He says, and this occurred. What occurred? The meeting with the apostles, meaning after 14 years, he went to visit the apostles. Why? Because what had happened, and this is all written about in Acts chapter 15, false, um, uh, th these false brethren, these people accused Paul of, of uh, preaching a false gospel. They went to the Peter, James, and John, and they said, this guy Paul is teaching this. He's teaching all kinds of wacky stuff. And so Acts chapter 15 is all about Paul being brought to Jerusalem in order to basically defend himself. And that's what he's, he's speaking of there. He says, this occurred because of false brethren who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty. Meaning people would secretly come into these meetings in these churches and they would find out he's not requiring circumcision. He's not requiring that they eat only kosher food. They're coming in dressed however the way they want. And, and so they would go back and start slandering him. They created an uproar in Jerusalem. And so Paul got notice, hey, you need to come down to Jerusalem to defend yourself. That's what's going on here in verse 4. But he says in verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission for even an hour, meaning we didn't give one single inch to what the gospel really is. Meaning, his gospel, which is the gospel in the Bible, which is Jesus' gospel, is believe in Jesus Christ plus nothing. It's not Jesus Christ plus circumcision. It's not Jesus Christ plus foods. It's not Jesus Christ plus plus. Dress. So when he says, we did not give in to them, not even for an hour, verse 5, he, just, he, he refused to budge. There's nothing that you can add to the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, among the last words he said on the cross were, it is done, it is finished. What was finished? Everything that needs to be done in order for you to have an everlasting relationship with him. And you can't add anything by your own goodness or your own good works. He says, we didn't give in to them even for an hour. So now you may look at verse four, which says, these people came in to spy on us, to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ, that they might bring us into bondage, meaning that they might bring us back to the place where we're doing all kinds of religious stuff. In Martin Luther's case, it would, it would be like someone trying to convince him to go back into a cell and freeze to death or go back into a, 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 a monastery and start fasting again in order to have a relationship with God. And he says, he says no, we didn't do that, even for an hour. Now, you might say, Pastor Steve, how does this relate to me today? <laughs> like, I don't have people coming into my life saying, you got to be circumcised in order to be a Christian. I don't have people coming to me and saying, you got to eat certain foods, only kosher foods. I don't have people coming to me and saying three times a year you have to go to Jerusalem. How does this relate to me? Very much so. In fact, this happens all the time. Take this last week for an example. I got a call from a pastor. Who said someone was trying to, a religious organization, a church actually, was trying to rent space from his church. And they're an international ministry and they don't, he doesn't know a lot about them. He says, Can, what do you think about this? Should I rent space to these people? And I say, oh, well, I'll look into it. And so I went to the website of this particular religious organization and they went through a statement of faith. And, you know, I would say for the first 
10 paragraphs, you would have thought they were Calvary Chapel. I mean, it was just, just stuff right outside the Bible. But then they got to paragraph 11. I don't know if that was. This. They got to a paragraph. And this paragraph said, addressed COVID vaccines and said specifically, they are forbidden. And by the way, not just by the church, by anyone, by any Christian, by anyone wanting to be a Christian. The COVID vaccine is forbidden. It didn't stop there. It also said, um, anytime a vaccine is required, mandated by law, it's forbidden. So what happens if a person goes into a church like that? Now, interestingly enough, there are churches who do the exact opposite. If you don't have the vaccine, what kind of Christian are you? There's churches like that too. But what happens if I, I, I go into a, a church and, and vaccines are prohibited and um, I don't know, I'm in a high-risk category. I'm 70 years old and I'm in the middle of a pandemic. So they had just told me about Jesus Christ. I had believed in Jesus Christ, but now they start introducing this. How, can you see how liberty is completely shattered? How's this person able to go before the Lord when they have this conflict in their soul? And by the way, I'm not saying that these issues are not important. Just don't make them into a law. In chapter 3, Paul says, if you do, he said, if you do, would that you be emasculated? You can go look, write down that word after the service. That's how serious he is about that. Now, a lot of times it's these real sensitive issues that people feel real strongly about that are ushered in as law. But let me tell you, I don't want anything messing with my liberty. We read Psalm 40 this morning in the 9.30 a.m. prayer, and one of the things David says in Psalm 40, because I'm overwhelmed with my sin. And I talked about this last week. Sometimes look, I wake up the same way. I'm just overwhelmed with my sinfulness. I, the last thing I need to be messing with is, oh, I need the blood of Jesus, and I have to avoid the vaccine. Or I need Jesus, and I got to be vaccinated. No, no. It's that simple liberty with Jesus Christ where we know by faith in him we've been saved. Hebrews chapter 10 says that by one offering on the cross, Jesus Christ perfected, he used, it says perfected forever those who are being sanctified, meaning you're blameless before God in love. And to try to start adding stuff to that liberty. I desperately need the grace of God every day. And so do you. And you need to guard yourself. The vaccination thing that I gave, that's just one example. But this stuff creeps into churches. You have to share your faith at least once a week. Alcohol is prohibited, it's forbidden. You're required to get, get up at a certain time every day and read the Bible. When you go to church, you better wear your best clothes. Now, I decided to be an illustration today. Anyone remember the last time I wore jeans on a Sunday morning? Never. Never. 20 years, I've never worn jeans. But guess what? It's not a law. I choose not to drink alcohol. 
So do most of our leaders in our church. I don't know. I don't even talk to them about it. It's their choice. The point is, it's a choice. It's not a law. I choose to share my faith. I was sharing it two days in the parking lot where my sister Barabelle came up to me. But I choose to do it. It has nothing to do with my standing before God or whether he loves me. I choose to get up real early every day and pray. But I choose to. It's not a requirement. It has nothing to do with my standing before the Lord or whether or not he loves me. And those are two different things. And it's so important we get this right. Stand fast in the liberty. Oh, man. I've taken too much time. Verse 5 says, verse 6 says, but from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me for God shows personal favoritism to no one. It's a very interesting verse. In the Greek, it says, God receives no face. Meaning one face that comes before him, they're rich. Say, yeah, come, I like you. Or, if they, or, or another face comes, they're poor. Oh, I don't like you. No. It, it, no personal favoritism, it says. For those who seem to be something, they added nothing to me. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter... For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Are you guys following that verse? The he is God. So it's repeated. So God who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised, meaning to the Jews, meaning uh, by the Holy Spirit, Peter focused on the Jews. And then it says here, and he who worked, uh, uh, and, and also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. So it was the same Holy Spirit with both. Verse 9, and when James Cephas, who is Peter, and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Meaning, um, James, Peter, and John, three of the apostles, they said to Paul, go for it. Go. God's doing a great work um, through you. Go. Yes. Don't add anything to Jesus Christ, faith in Jesus Christ. Don't think you need to tell them that they need to be circumcised. Don't do that. Don't think you need to tell them that they need to be eating certain foods or wearing certain clothes. Keep preaching Jesus Christ plus nothing. Go. Go in that liberty. They told him. And so Paul is making the point that, listen, the apostles, the real apostles, are the ones who told me to continue this. And so what he's telling these Galatians is, why are you letting people come in and lie to you? Why are you doing that? It would be like if um, I wrote to this church who's requiring a vaccination. Why are you believing this? When you received Jesus Christ, it was Jesus, faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. Why are you adding a vaccination? Or why are you adding uh, no vaccination? Why are you doing this? And so, um, so important to stand fast. Can we have that one more time, Victoria? Galatians 5.1. Stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. Can I have the worship team come up at this time? And if you've been asked to pray, please come up at this time as well. And if you could rise for the closing worship song. We're just going to... We're going to worship now hopefully with complete liberty and freedom and thanksgiving for what the Lord Jesus has purchased for us. But if you are struggling 
understanding and liver, living in that liberty, if you're struggling with just having that simple, peaceful relationship with God, man complicates it. We complicate it. God makes it very simple. Come on up and pray. I think we have a few others who have been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. Or if anything else is stirred in your heart, perhaps you're, you have never in your life come into that relationship with Jesus Christ. It's never happened to you. It happened to me. I started walking with the Lord when I was 24. It was the first time I said, okay, I'm tired of being in the driver's seat. I'm going to go to the back seat and Lord give you the driver's seat. You have full control over my life. The churchy way of saying that is you're making Jesus your Lord. Actually, it's Romans 10.9 that says that. Which says if you confess with your mouth, if you say with your mouth, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord, and you believe in your heart who He is, that God raised Him from the dead, says you're saved. And from that moment on, for all eternity, you've been liberated liberated. You have liberty. You can enjoy a relationship with God. If, if that's never happened to you, come on up. Let's talk about it. Or any, anything else, any, anything else that you want to pray about at this time. Father, I just thank you. I thank you just for what this message has done for my own heart, Lord. Always calling me back to simple. S-I-M-P-L-E. Simple. And I just pray that, that simple relationship for every man, woman, and child in this room. Lord, would you untangle that which a man or woman in here has tangled up by making things too complicated and breathe life into them? Would you do that, Lord? And now, Lord, would you give us hearts crying out in worship to you? I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.